very existence of Iran keeping an archive of a nuclear weapons program is certainly news. Hello, and welcome to AJC Passport, brought to you by AJC, the diplomatic arm of the Jewish community. Each week, we'll chat with experts from around the world to help you better understand the week's headlines and what they all mean for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. Sometime before next Saturday, May 12th, President Trump will need to decide whether to continue waiving American sanctions on Iran. These sanctions were put in place by Congress and were a critical tool in bringing Iran to the negotiating table. When President Obama agreed to the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JCPOA or the Iran deal in 2015, he was agreeing that the U.S. would lift these sanctions in exchange for Iran taking apart much of its nuclear program and cooperating with international inspectors. But President Trump has always hated the Iran deal. And, though he has waived sanctions already in his presidency, he vowed when he did so in January that it would be the last time. This week, as the deadline approaches in a presentation in English, seemingly tailored for President Trump, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu revealed a massive trove of documents that the Mossad, Israel's intelligence service, had stolen and smuggled out of Tehran. These files conclusively prove what the international community has long suspected to be true, despite Iran's denials. The Islamic Republic was actively pursuing a nuclear weapon up until 2003. If Iran lied about that, Netanyahu asked, what else might they be lying about, even now? Today, we have Daniel Schwamenthal, director of the Brussels-based AJC Transatlantic Institute. Before taking over our office in Brussels, Daniel had a distinguished career as a journalist, most recently editing the Wall Street Journal's op-ed page in Europe. He is the perfect person to analyze where Europe stands as we approach this nuclear deadline. Daniel, welcome to AJC Passport. Pleasure to join you. So European leaders and the alumni of the Obama administration are the main advocates for America staying in as part of the Iran deal. You are based in Brussels, the capital of Europe. Can you just state briefly for us the pro-deal stance that I'm sure you hear all the time? Right. Uh, The main argument that uh, defenders of the deal are saying is that the deal is working, Um, It has taken a lot of time, many, many years to negotiate it, and that withdrawing from the deal, particularly without a viable alternative, uh, because they uh, are convinced that Iran would not in any way be uh, open to renegotiating it, would be a mistake. Mm -hmm. And and now there was this made-for-TV moment this week with Prime Minister Netanyahu, where he revealed all these documents that the Mossad had taken from Tehran right under the Iranian regime's nose. He portrayed this presentation as a revelation of completely new information. The Trump administration concurred, but many in Europe and even some Republicans in the states, uh, including Senator Bob Corker, a Republican from Tennessee who chairs the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, they say it's actually nothing new. What, what's that argument? It is not correct to say there's nothing new. Um, first of all, one has to um, state that the very existence of Iran keeping an archive of a nuclear weapons program is certainly news. We may have suspected it, but nobody had 
uh, any um, any hard data on it. Now we know for sure that Iran did indeed lie when it pretended not to ever having had a nuclear program, and it continued to deceive the international community by keeping this archive and uh, thus being uh, being able to relaunch uh, its nuclear weapons program at the time of its choosing. So for um, for some people to immediately dismiss this as nothing new is uh, is not really correct. In addition, uh, we know that there are, I think, what, what is it, hundreds, fifty thousands of pages, which will take months, if not years, to sift through. And and, and already a number of of, of experts have identified um, key new information about the type of nuclear explosion experiments that uh, Iran, uh, the Iranians have carried out, new um, new suspicious sites where they may have carried them out. So we already know that there are also a number of concrete, new, detailed type, uh, information in this archive, part of it, technical of technical nature, but part of it also definitely food for the inspectors to, to go and, and look uh, and inspect those, those, um, uh, those new sites. Well, one thing that I think a lot of people are thinking is, you know, what is the purpose of an archive? An archive is where you put something that you're not using. So doesn't the fact that all of this material was contained in a you know, dilapidated warehouse, as I think uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu called it, um, in Tehran suggest that it's not being used in Fordo and in Homs and in the other, um, the other Iranian nuclear sites? First of all, we don't know if this is the only copy of this archive. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the Iranians would be foolish not to have multiple copies of, of this material. Uh, and second, uh, you know, if you really uh, don't have any intention of uh, ever uh, relaunching your nuclear weapons program, then, then why even bothering and keeping it up? And we know uh, that, they, um, that they actually actively moved it as recently as 2017. So uh, you don't go through all this trouble just uh, to keep, you know, because the Iranians are known for, you know, very, very diligent records keepers. You do this only for one reason. You want to restart this program at the time of your choosing, most likely at the end of the so-called sunset clause, which is the period when the most important restrictions of the current Iran deal will fall away. And then, most likely, it is when the Iranians will make use of this material again. And, but I say most likely because we do not know whether they are not already continuing to work a nuclear weapons program at secret sites, at military sites where the Iranians are saying those are no-go areas for inspectors. This week, over the past couple of weeks, actually, we've seen French President Emmanuel Macron and German Chancellor Angela Merkel um, sit down with uh, President Trump and uh, really lobby the U.S. to uh, stay in the deal. Uh, But one thing that I noticed is that now they're willing to add deals on top of the JCPOA that would take on Iran's ballistic missile program, its support for terrorism, maybe even strengthen the nuclear inspections. What's changed between when the JCPOA, the Iran deal, was first signed in 2015 and today? You're quite right. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, there has been quite a, uh, quite a lot of progress has been made in the past few months uh, 
between American negotiators and European negotiators on, on what to do with President Trump's deadline. Because he has, he, he has said that he will withdraw unless uh, the flaws of the deals, um, of the deals are, being, are being addressed. And President Macron, indeed, when he was in Washington, outlined a general plan that is more or less in line, I think, with what the president would like to see, namely addressing these problems, addressing the central flaw that missiles, uh, you know, have been kept outside the deal, uh, even though missiles, of course, are an integral part of any nuclear weapons program because you need a delivery system. The fact that, as I've mentioned before, the deal uh, with its uh, many limitations, but its greatest, greatest flaw is that it, is, uh, that it has a sunset clause, that in several years many of the most important constraints will fall away, and that at the end uh, Iran will basically be with a, an industrial size enrichment program uh, that will give it uh, almost near zero breakout time, as President Obama himself said uh, ahead of the deal. And breakout time is basically the time needed for, um, for uh, enriching enough fissile material for a nuclear bomb. Um, and President Macron also said we need to address Iran's regional aggression. So all these elements are there. There is no... Um, there is no great agreement between the East three, so Germany, France, and the UK, and the US, on what the problems are. But there is still disagreement of how to exactly um, fix those problems. And in my mind, it would be a great shame if after so much progress has been made between the two sides, if in, uh, you know, in those few days we couldn't uh, go the extra mile, if the Europeans couldn't uh, bridge those remaining gaps in order to, you know, sh uh, 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 keep a united transatlantic front in, in, in confronting the Iranian problem. One thing you hear a lot when people talk about the deal is, you know, it doesn't address this, it doesn't address that. And, and defenders of the deal will say, well, you know, we were focused only on the, the nuclear development issue because we wanted to tackle that, and, and then we can tackle the other things. And so one thing that I think is crucially important and, and has a lot of impact, tremendous impact across the region and, and impact in Europe as well, is that the deal doesn't take on Iranian adventurism. Uh, you'll often hear nowadays that Iran controls four Arab capitals, Baghdad, Beirut, Damascus, and Sana'a. The Iranian-backed terror group Hezbollah operates all over the world. What is the European appetite to respond to those issues? That's exactly one of the key questions. Um, as I said uh, earlier, at least we have made progress, certainly rhetorically, in the sense that Europeans are now on board and admit publicly admit that this is a severe problem and that they're willing to address it. However... Uh, and I'm not privy to, obviously, to these um, uh, secret new negotiations, but it, it seems that whatever it is they may have proposed, it is, doesn't seem to be enough for, 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 for the American side. And we know that uh, the, um, the E3, meaning the Germany, France, and UK, and the UK, who were parties to the nuclear agreement, have proposed a number of 
relatively limited targeted additional sanctions against uh, um, Iran, uh, uh, Iranian uh, efforts and targeted against uh, Hezbollah, um, and they were not able to um, get the rest of the EU uh, behind this um, initiative. Um, the uh, EU can only pass sanctions if there is a unanimity. Now, it is questionable whether those 15 measures would have been enough for, uh, to convince President Trump that, the, um, that Europe is indeed really committed to confront Iran. But the problem is they were not even able to, uh, to pass those uh, measures. And I think... Um, again, without uh, being privy to the, to, to, to the talks and without having uh, privileged access to the White House. But I think what the Europeans ought to do, and this is also what AJC is calling for, among other measures, is, for instance, to designate uh, Hezbollah in its entirety as a terror organization. At the moment, the EU has only designated its so-called military arm but not its so-called political arms. So the Europeans are making a distinction that even Hezbollah itself um, is rejecting and which allowed Hezbollah in Europe to continue to operate under the so-called political arm to raise funds and recruit uh, supporters. So this, for instance, would be a clear sign that Europe is ready to do what is necessary to push back against Iran. Former U.S. ambassador to Israel, Dan Shapiro, a friend of AJC Passport, is predicting that President Trump has made his decision already. He has made up his mind. He's going to pull us out of the Iran deal. Has Europe reached that conclusion about President Trump's intentions as well? It's, I, I think so. I think that they at least ought to uh, realize that, as far as one can tell from the outside, that President Trump is serious about it. I, you know, I can't say whether he really has made that decision yet, but, but just from where I'm standing, I'm pretty sure that, that he is ready to do so. Um, and, you know, the very fact that just recently he brought in two really hawkish um, uh, cabinet members in, in Pompeo in Bolton, I don't think you bring in these sort of hawks, hawks, uh, if you then want to um, do a, a soft approach uh, toward, uh, toward Iran. So my, if I had to bet, I would say that if President Trump is not satisfied with the progress that has been made, and it looks like he isn't, that he is ready to pull out and that he's also ready not just to do a sort of soft pullout, meaning to only reimpose American direct sanctions, but that he's ready to um, impose secondary sanctions, meaning sanctioning international companies for doing business in Iran. In other words, uh, forcing them to choose between a 300 billion rogue economy and a 17 trillion U.S. economy. And, well, you know, you do the math. I'm pretty sure I know what the European companies will, will do. Daniel, we at AJC don't think the deal is perfect. We opposed it when it was announced, uh, but we want to keep it 
now, largely because we believe in Western unity. We believe in the U.S. and Europe working together to combat global threats. In the eyes of Europe, would the U.S. be isolating itself with this move? That is certainly an argument uh, you are hearing, um, and um, and it uh, would indeed be a very bad outcome if, um, in the end, we have a situation where somehow uh, uh, Europe is standing with uh, uh, Russia and China and, and, and Iran, of course, and uh, the United States would be alone. Indeed, that, that would be... Uh, in addition to uh, the great challenge that Iran poses and the serious threat to international security, to see Europe and the U.S. divided on this, to add another transatlantic conflict on top of this um, problem would indeed be uh, uh, the most uh, regrettable outcome. However, having said that, I do believe that... Um, I think there has really been a reckoning in that sense in Europe. You know, as, as we, we, we've heard Macron uh, acknowledging uh, the, the flaws of the deal and that it has to be amended. And, and uh, even Angela Merkel, and we know the Germans were always more lenient towards Iran than the French, where even Angela Merkel said that when she was in Washington that the JCPOA, uh, the, the, the nuclear deal, is only a good first Step, but not sufficient to really contain um, uh, a nuclear Iran. So, so we have a lot of agreement here. So that I hope that even if there is not enough agreement to keep the Americans in, and the, President Trump decides to withdraw, that even in that situation, hopefully the Europeans will show enough solidarity here, even if they may want to go a different way. But that. That the, that the sort of tensions over this can be somehow managed and they still work together on addressing um, the, the Iranian challenge together. This will not go away. Daniel, I just have one final question, and it's on a slightly different topic. Earlier this week, Mahmoud Abbas delivered a speech before the Palestinian uh, legislative body, uh, which hadn't met formally, I think, in something like 22 years. And he said the following. He said, quote, so the Jewish question that was widespread throughout Europe, referring there to the Holocaust, uh, was not against their religion, but against their social function, which relates to usury and banking and such. This, to our ears, of course, is uh, blatant, horrific anti-Semitism, blaming European Jewry of the 1930s uh, for what happened ultimately uh, in the Holocaust and the Shoah. What I think has been remarkable is that we've actually seen Europe respond to this fairly bluntly. They said that his speech contained unacceptable remarks concerning the origins of the Holocaust and Israel's legitimacy. And they said such rhetoric will only play into the hands of those who do not want a two-state solution. Has Europe finally had it with Mahmoud Abbas? It's, uh, it's too early to say. Uh, this has been, um, and it's not just Mahmoud Abbas, it's, it's, it's uh, the entire Palestinian Authority system. Uh, that really is based on constant incitement to hatred against Israel, against Jews, uh, that is doing the exact opposite of preparing its uh, people for coexistence, but encouraging its people 
to uh, even carry out terror attacks. Uh, we uh, know that the Palestinian Authority under President Abbas is paying salaries to, 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 to terrorists who are imprisoned in Israeli prisons. Uh, and, and, and the salary, the higher, the, the, the more gruesome their crimes were. So it's the entire system that is just incompatible with any notion of coexistence, let alone peace. And this is something that we at AJC and certainly uh, and, 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 and in the European offices, the Transatlantic Institute in Brussels, have been telling Europeans time and again that if they really, really want to make a difference um, and, and contribution uh, to um, uh, peace, then they ought to use the considerable leverage that they have over the Palestinians, because they are the most important uh, financial and diplomatic supporters, to, to, to help, so to speak, the Palestinians change their way, the society, the political system. In addition, you have the corruption and, and mismanagement, dysfunctional. So I must admit that on the one hand, I was happy to see these reactions, but I would also have seen even more clearer condemnations. You haven't really heard the, the words that this is clear anti-Semitism. So uh, I'm afraid there is still a sort of a very slow learning process, um, and, and I'm, 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 I don't think they've had it with uh, Mahmoud Abbas. Um, but again, one ought not to reduce it to this one person. I'm, I'm not convinced that whoever will follow him uh, will be a great improvement because it's structural. Well, Europe may not have had it with Abbas, but the New York Times editorial board certainly has. We'll put a link to their latest editorial, Let Abbas's Vile Words Be His Last as Palestinian Leader, in the show notes for today's episode. Thank you very much, Daniel. My pleasure. Now it's time for our closing segment, Good for the Jews, where each week I share one final thought about a recent development in the world and try to answer that age-old question. Is it good for the Jews? Telling our story. Good for the Jews? Jews have always been storytellers, passing along an oral tradition from teacher to student for generations before codifying it into the Mishnah one of the seminal texts of religious Judaism. But how do we tell our own story? That's the question that noted Israeli intellectual Yossi Klein-Halevi, author of the award-winning book Like Dreamers, set about answering as he composed his latest volume, Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor. Not raised a peacenik, not by any stretch, Klein-Halevi has evolved to view a two-state solution as utterly necessary to the continued existence of the Jewish and democratic state of Israel. In this latest book, he poses and answers the most basic questions, but ones that so few Arabs and Palestinians might know or believe the answers to. Who are we Jews and what are we doing in Israel? Yossi has said that he doesn't want this book to be a one-way missive. He hopes to receive letters in return, perhaps even to publish them. To that end, he is making the Arabic version of the book available for free online for anyone to download. If the Arab world can begin to learn the national Zionist narrative, can start to see Jews as something other than colonialists or interlopers in the region, can understand that Israel has always been the home of our people. That certainly would be good for the Jews. You can subscribe to AJC Passport on iTunes or on Stitcher. Follow us on SoundCloud 
or learn more at AJC.org passport. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at passport at AJC.org. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. This episode is brought to you by AJC, the American Jewish Committee. Our producer is Alex Zeldin. Our sound engineer is Scott Reitherman. Tune in next week for another episode of AJC Passport.